Well, hey, welcome. Uh, if you walked in late, welcome to our sermon series for the fall, which we are calling God Is. And what we're going to do each week is we're going to take a different attribute or characteristic of God, and we're going to put it at the end of those three dots. So God is this or God is that. Um, so get ready for some great systematic theology. If we do this right, Morgan, wherever you are, um, he and I'll be taking the lead in this. And we're, we're doing this for a reason, okay? We got into it a little bit last week. We've talked about it in the past some. But it, it's simply because there is a major connection between our understanding of God and ourselves. Um, there is a, what we understand about God has a major impact on our spiritual life. Hence the quote that was up there just a minute ago. You heard it last week. We've said it before. What comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So our understanding of God is, it's literally everything to us, spiritually speaking. But here's the thing. Um, information can only take us so far. Um, I don't know if you've ever had the experience of being filled with facts about something, but then seeing the thing. And there's a big shift. I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, when I was a kid, a little, little guy, probably four or five years old, I don't know, my dad bought me, um, he bought me a set of Fisher-Price golf clubs, okay? So there are these great big, like, plastic uh, clubs, and the ball's about this big. And I would get in the backyard, and I would just, you know, I'd, I'd say, Dad, watch this, watch this. And I'd, you know, swing and miss the ball, or I'd hit it, and it'd dribble like four or five feet. I thought I was a golfer. You know, I thought I had skills. And then maybe a year or two later, my dad took me to the golf course and he goes, now we're going to play golf together. And I remember, I, I, I must have been six years old, I will never forget watching my dad set up on the tee box and take a drive. It was the first time I ever saw, I know my form is beautiful. So, and I just saw him connect with the ball. And I don't know how well he hit it. He might have shanked it into the woods or, you know, hit it 200 feet. But to me, to see my father hit this golf ball and this thing launch, I just remember thinking, my dad is the greatest golfer in the world. And because I belong to him, I'm his son. I can play golf. Um, I remember years later this happened when I was in middle school. I was in eighth grade taking algebra, and I had years and years and years and years of math facts. And I wasn't, I wasn't failing math. I was flunking math. There's a, I mean, I was terrible. And my father, okay, my dad was a, he had a double master's in nuclear and chemical engineering. So guess what he was good at? Math. So he said, Stephen, I'm going to show you how to do math. And I was like, Dad, I don't get it. I don't get it. And he sat down, and he did math like I have never seen math done before. The teacher had been explaining it my whole life. I hadn't got it. He did it. I got it in a second. I, I just got it. I never struggled again. So when I went back, and the end of the story is I went back to school, and I, I took some tests, and my teacher was like, the answers are all right, but I don't understand how you did this. So my dad had to go to school and teach her how to do math, and then she accepted my answers. But the point is, it, both of those things came alive when I saw them. So there is a difference between information and revelation. So our prayer as we go through this series is that, that we will more, do more than just get God facts. That as, as we go through this, um, we really would behold God. 
and it'll really affect who we become. You've heard us say that before. So having said that, um, let me just, I'll give you this real general thing, and then we'll pray and jump into it. The attributes uh, of God or the character of God, it falls under two headings, okay? Um, The headings are the communicable attributes of God and the incommunicable attributes of God. Now, the communicable, communicable attributes of God are all those parts of God that he shares with us, okay? Um, These are the ways that all human beings are like God in a unique way. Um, As Christians, these include all those ways that we grow to become more like God as we follow Christ. Those are communicable. God's like, here you go. Part of me, and, and, and it's in you. The incommunicable is the opposite of that, okay? It's the flip side of that. These are all those parts of God that belong to God alone. So these are all those ways that God is completely different from all of creation and all creatures, okay? He's different from us and everything we know, but here's the thing. Even the incommunicable parts of God that are vastly beyond us, okay? I mean, they're like, it's like spiritual physics for us to understand how he can be this and we're just that. Even those have a powerful impact on who we are when we look at them, okay? So um, having said that, let's pray and then let's look at one of them today, okay? Father God, I thank you uh, that you are so glorious and so magnificent. And I confess, even as we do this, Lord, we just want to say that we are humble creatures. We are, we are a finite creation looking at an infinite God today. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to actually see you, along with ears to hear your voice, and, and just hearts to understand you. Lord, I know that along the way, even as I've been studying this week, I feel like my mind has been blown like 20 different times. And what a beautiful thing it is to to just get a glimpse of your majesty and your greatness. Lord, let that impact who we are and how we live in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so, so we're on the subject of who God is. So let me pause for a minute and let's just talk about you and me. Just for a second, okay? Um, let me ask you a question. Have you, and you don't have to say yes to this or raise your hand, but have you ever felt insignificant? Please say yes inside yourselves because, folks, we all have. Um, we all struggle at some level with a lack of self-importance and self-worth. Um, a lot of reasons why. You know, um, maybe we look at our lack of abilities and our weaknesses and we, we just look in the mirror and we say to ourselves, I don't have what it takes. I can see from faces, some of you have been there before. Maybe we focus on our failures, you know, the D in math, um, the, the financial struggle we're having. Maybe we look at broken relationships in our life and we feel unworthy and insignificant. Um, maybe we think about how we let somebody down. You know, somebody expected so much more from us than what we actually delivered. Um, Maybe we just do this. We compare ourselves to people who are better than we are. You know, Jerry felt he's so much smarter than I am. He came up with Wednesday Renew. I mean, who am I compared to that? But we do that, don't we? I mean, we, we look at somebody who's better than we are, and we make some hard conclusions about ourselves. 
insignificance hits us all. And for some of us, it's just a moment. You know, it's a, for some of us, it's a season of life. Some of us struggle with insignificance every single day. It, it's one of those things that defines who we are. And I know that's painful to bring up, but I, I do want to ask you to hold on to that for just a little bit, and we're going to circle back around to that. And um, now we'll switch back to God, who, when it comes to insignificance, cannot relate to us in that. God has never felt a sense of insignificance. That is mind-blowing. You know why? Because God is infinite. Uh, J. Rodman Williams writes this about God. He says, with God, there is no confinement. There is no limitation. As the infinite one, God surpasses every single thing in his creation. I, I, I can hear fuses going off in heads before they explode. I mean, this is amazing. And we see this all throughout Scripture. One of the things that jumps out to us about God's infiniteness is that he is unlimited in power and freedom. Think about that. God can do whatever he wants or wills or determines to do. I know that there's really nothing you can say back to that, is there? I mean, isn't that incredible? In fact, the only thing God cannot do are the things that he determines he won't do. Like if God says, hey, there's a boundary, I will never cross it, or here is a thing over here I will never do. That's the only thing that can limit God is himself. That's why Jesus says to us in Matthew 19, he says, with God, all things are possible. Isn't that incredible? So the answer to the question that we sang in, you know, who can stop the Lord Almighty? The answer is only the Lord Almighty. That's the answer to that question. This is just a taste, a sliver of what it means to be infinite. Now, here's another mind-blowing part of that. Um, infinite also points to the biblical truth that God is self-sufficient and self-dependent. All right, Psalm 50, 9 through 11, God says, I have no need of a bull from your stall or goats from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. And none of us are going to fight God for the insects in the field, are we? But, but the point is, everything is already his. Wayne Grudem says this, God doesn't need us or the rest of creation for anything. Wow, completely without need. So God is always his perfect self. He's always existing in the most excellent way without us or anything around us. Man, th this is why I was at my desk this week and I would write these statements and just go, I got to sit here for a minute in light of that. I mean, it's incredible. It's majestic. It's so far beyond us. And so, so when God says, I am, you notice that in the Old Testament, I am, I am that I am, what God is saying is, I am determined by me and me alone. Now, 
we could stop there and probably marinate in, in just the wildness and, and the giganticness of that. But then Moses adds something else to the infiniteness of God in Psalm 92. And he says this, Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Do you know what that means? It means that God has no origin. God has no beginning. Now, now that, one, that one will like blow all your circuits, right? Everything we know has a creation date, right? You open up the door of your car. Oh, manufactured 2014 in Kentucky. You know, I mean, I have a birthday, December 12th, 1967, right? I mean, we all, everything has a beginning, but God doesn't. Why? Because God is the creator. Only created things have a beginning. Only created things have a birthday. God was created by nothing and no one. He is the cause of everything and everyone. He was caused by nothing and no one. It's just incredible. The one last thing I want to look at before we start applying this is within let's talk about that eternity before God created the world. Because, you know, we, we've got a lot of information in the Word of God about creation and everything that happens. But what about all that time, all that eternity before the world was created? And this is fun because this is where we get to correct an error in some people's theology, their belief about God and spiritual things. Some people will say this. I heard this in the church growing up. People would say, well, you know why God created us, right? God made us because he was lonely. And because he needed someone to love, and he needed someone to love him back. That makes sense from a certain point of view, but it's not true. Jesus says in John 17 that God has always existed in perfect fellowship and in a perfect love relationship. Now, Jesus here is referring to the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that for all of eternity, God has been in this satisfying, rich, loving relationship. The specific quote from Jesus is, Father, I want those you've given me, right? That's you and me. I want them to be with me where I am. I want them to see my glory, the glory you've given me, because you have loved me, before the creation of the world, okay? So let's try and pull all this together, okay? Let's, let's recap here for a sec. Um, God, as the infinite one, God completely transcends us. He absolutely surpasses us. He is unlimited in, in his power. Um, God does not need us or anything else. He doesn't even need us to keep him company. Okay, so infinite means that God is unlike everything and everyone that was, is, or ever will be. All right, so let's return now to what we talked about earlier. How's your self-worth doing now? How is your sense of self-importance? I mean, I can just see you walking in here going, gee, Steve, you know, I felt pretty good coming into church. I mean, seemed like a good day, had some things I was looking forward to, even felt good about myself. But, but after looking at myself in light of an infinite God, the question I have is, does anyone matter? I mean, do we matter at all? 
That's a great question. And there is an answer to that question. And it is a three-word answer. Do we matter in the light of an infinite God? The three-word answer is absolutely. Absolutely we matter. And it's actually because of all this we matter. So listen, if your self-worth is a little low, get ready, honey, because it's getting ready to rise, all right? We matter, first of all, because the God of the universe created us. You matter because he made you. Listen to this. I want you to hear this first. I hope this just blows your socks off and blows your hair back, okay? David writes in Psalm 139, 13 and 14, God You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And listen, David isn't trying to be cute by using the word knit. This is so intentional in the Hebrew. Just think about a knitter. What? Now, I don't knit, but I've watched some people knit, okay? A knitter chooses the thread, the pattern, what it will look like, the, it, the knots that are used, the colors that are used, the size. Knitting is so intentional. It is a beautiful, creative, intentional, deliberate work of art that is exactly what David is saying about you and I as a creation of God. Everyone individual, everyone handcrafted. And we might point at a, at a flaw or a, something that's missing. We are a beautiful design it, at the hands of an infinite God. That's where significance starts. Well, it, get, it gets a little more deep very quickly when we realize that not only were we created by him, we were created like him. We were created in his image. There is no other part of creation that that is said to be made in the image of God. No other creature. And I know, gosh, I hear it. Oh, my dog is the smartest thing in the world. You know, I'm sure your dog's smart, but he's not as smart as you are. We are the only creatures on this planet that can reason and rule and relate. I mean, it's not even a second place to you and I. We were created in the image of God by God. But then we can take it a little further. It's not just that we were made by an infinite God in his image. It is that we are meaningful to him. Even if we struggle to feel meaningful to ourselves, we are meaningful to God. Isaiah says this in 62. He says, we are a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand. For the Lord delights in us. And that crown of splendor, what he's saying is, that's how God sees us. And so when the God of the universe who feels this way about us says, look, I chose you. I want to be in relationship with you. You matter to me. I have a purpose for you, a life for you. And that life is life to the full. We matter more than we think we do. We are significant in the eyes of God. You see, the real importance is how do we tap into that, okay? And that, that's where this gets serious. Um, Paul says this in Colossians 1. Um, he's talking to us about Jesus. Listen to what he says about Jesus. See if you can put this together. In verses 15 through 19, he says, Jesus Christ, the Son, and in the Greek, it's this. Jesus Christ, the Son, is the spitting image 
of the invisible infinite God. He is the firstborn over all creation because in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, and authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Jesus Christ is before all things and in him all things hold together. In everything, he has the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Do you see what Paul is saying about Jesus? He's saying everything you know about God being the infinite God, that's Jesus. Jesus Christ is the infinite God. Now, Paul has already given us a a taste of something else in, in those few verses when he says, we were made for Jesus. Okay, now hold on to that and listen to Paul draw us even further into this in the next uh, four verses, 20 through 23. For again, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now, But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. So what Paul is is saying here, if you pull this apart, what he's saying is, hey, look, um, if you've ever felt insignificant and unworthy and less than, um, at one point in your life, you were right. You are 100% insignificant. And the reason is because you were a stranger to God. As sinners, you chose, you chose to be an enemy of God. Okay, so all that stuff you felt about, you know, I'm dark, I'm unlovely, you know, I'm a loser, I'm a less than, all of that spiritually speaking, before Jesus was in your life was absolutely true. But then the situation changed. The situation changed because Jesus stepped down into your darkness, into your sin, into your death, and Jesus died on the cross. He died in your place, and he rose to life again. And every, everyone who now receives him, all of them are reconciled to God. All right? As simple as that. Now, this word reconciled is a powerful word, all right? Um, in, in, in the, the New Testament, it appears only once like this. And that means this is a word we had better pay attention to. And what it means is that everyone who receives Christ is now holy and worthy in God's sight. God sees holy and God sees worthy because Jesus is in our life. And then Paul gets more specific. Every stain of sin, you know, all the stuff we beat ourselves up for, every stain of sin because of Jesus is gone. Every chain of sin is broken, and we are completely free of accusation. And what that means is people can't accuse us, the enemy can't accuse us, we can't even accuse ourselves. That's the spiritual strength of this, all right? So this, this is a real big deal. So Paul is saying, look, this, this significance, this salvation, 
It's by him, through him, in him, from him, for him. Pointing to another one of Dan's songs today, in Christ alone. In Christ alone. All of this happens in our lives. That's what happens when we accept Christ. But Paul talks about something else. He uses the word if, and he says all of that remains true. This significance, this, yes, yes, all is right with me and God. That remains in us if we hold on. If we hold on to the hope we have in Jesus Christ. And that's really the trick once we get saved, right? I mean, a lot of us had that moment. You know, we, we accept Christ into our lives and everything's new, right? I belong to Christ. You remember the zeal you felt when, you, when Jesus first entered your life? Well, and then there's this other little thing waiting called the rest of your life, right? And there are stumbles in the rest of our lives. There are dark moments. We forget things like the children of Israel, you know? I mean, sin, sin becomes something we really wrestle with. Temptation is Christ. So, Paul, how do we hold on to Jesus? Well, if we just stick with this passage, there, there are a few things. Um, well, first of all, I'll back up and say this. There are some practical things we can do, okay? One of the things we can do to hold on to the hope we have in Jesus Christ and to stay moving forward in faith, believe it or not, okay, and this is heresy to some in this age, be a part of church. Be a part of a church family. Um, the Lone Ranger was a great television show, right? But I would even submit to you that the Lone Ranger wasn't lone, right? He had Tonto and those horses, right? The lo a Lone Ranger Christian life doesn't work for anybody. People say, I can be a Christian and not be a part of church. Yes, you can in name, but let's face it, face it growing, being encouraged, getting healing from our hearts having someone teach us who's a little further ahead in the faith, all of that, all of that's absent. We can't do this alone. Being a part of a worshiping, encouraging, praying body of believers who are sharpening one another, it's indispensable to the Christian life. That's one way we hold on. Individually, we do it as well. I don't know if, if, if you do what I would call a quiet time in the morning. If you don't, I encourage you, spend time in the Word of God daily. And listen, some people say, it's got to be 12 chapters or it doesn't matter. It's got to be. No, it doesn't. Meditate on one scripture if that's where you're at, but get the Word in you. Be, this is God speaking to us. Let Him lead you. Let Him correct you. Let Him grow you up. I cannot tell you how many times I've read like, like a verse, you know, for God so loved the world. You've read it a thousand times and you just, one morning it's all new again. The Word of God is living and active, and, and it really changes who we are. Get into the Word. Another thing is pray. You know what prayer is? Prayer is talking to God. I can't tell you how many Christians I've talked to, and they go, oh, man, I don't, I don't have much of a prayer life. Why don't you have a prayer life? Well, you know, I, I never can get the these before the thous and the thines. And, yeah, it's not about the language. It's just about your heart and talking. Most of the time when, when I pray, I'm walking around. I've come in the sanctuary. God, I, I don't know what I'm doing today. But you do. Would you, would you show me? Father, I woke up this morning and, man, I'm just, I'm, I'm just hurting today. Would you heal me? Father, you said something here. I have no idea. It really is a conversation with your Father, right? I invite you into prayer. I also invite you into healing. A lot of us live with stuff that we know is broken. We don't have to stay that way. Part of holding on to, to the hope we have in Christ is getting healing for our wounds, 
You know, whether you join to restore my soul or you pull up side a brother and say, I, I did this with somebody the other day. Uh, somebody came to me and said, man, I'm just struggling with lust. Oh, it's just eating me alive. Would you pray with me? We sat down in here, prayed. It was beautiful. He said, I feel so strengthened. I feel so much peace. The power of prayer and healing. God does that through us and through one another. Um, specifically to this passage, though, here's a way we hold on to the hope we have in Christ. We hold on by not believing those lies. And I just want to say this to you as a pastor and as a fellow human struggling, those lies, you're no good. You're unworthy. You're less than. You don't have what it takes. Those are lies. In the light of an infinite God who shaped you like himself and has a life for you, those are lies. So if you're a Christian and you're, you're falling for maybe some of that self-condemning talk or, or, or just the, the lies of Satan, the real enemy of God. And let's be real clear about him, okay? Let's be real clear about Satan. The Bible says he's an accuser. That means he takes delight in pointing the finger. That's, that's his thing, man. That's his shtick, accusing. The Bible also says he, he's a liar. He doesn't speak the truth. He doesn't speak the truth about you. And here's the other thing about him. He's a thief, he has come to rob you of joy. He's come to rob you of life. So recognize those lies, and then what we talked about at the beginning, behold your God. Behold your God. Look at who he is in Scripture. Remember who we've talked about him being today, who we sing about him being. Behold your God, and then just turn from the lies to the truth of who God has made you to be. The truth is that God made you. The truth is that God made you to be like him. The truth is that God chooses you and he died that you might have life and have life to the full in him. That is the truth. Behold that truth. Believe the good news that you belong to him and that's all that matters and that's actually what makes you matter. Let's pray together. Oh, Father God, we love you. And Lord, I just want to pray on one side, on one hand here for healing. Lord, for some of us in this room, some that I know personally, me at times, but for others who are unknown to me, Lord, some of us really live in the land of the valley of the shadow of death. And that shadow is our own condemnation our shadow are the lies that have been spoken over us where maybe a parent or somebody that, that really mattered to us really spoke some words of death over us. Maybe it's just the comparison game, Lord, but th this planet has a really great way of beating us down walking around on this planet. Father, you, you have spoken a very different truth over us, that we are your children, that we are your beloved. Zephaniah says that you rejoice over us with singing. And so, God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see you during this time. And, Lord, as we behold you and we're just caught in the awe and the wow of how great you are, that, Lord, like Isaiah last week, we would have that revelation that we need to change and turn in your direction. But, Lord, that, that as, we, as we gaze at you, we would see who we really are. We would be blown away by the majesty that you've put on us, that the calling you have over our lives, the, the love that you have assigned to us. Father, we want to receive, we want to receive all that you have for us. 
in Jesus' name. And we just say that, Lord, it is only in you that we live and we move and we have our being. May that truly be the case with us in Jesus' name. Amen.